This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 145. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host, Kelly Hurst, and my husband, Brett, and I are marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement, and this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. Well, I'm solo again today because we are just that uh, crazy busy and have not had time to sit down together, but we're trying to stay on track and get our episodes out on a regular basis. So if that means I've got to do a few solo, then that is how it goes. I apologize. Hopefully, Brett will be back with me very, very soon. Today's episode is called Marriage Data. I know, sexy, right? (laughs) One of the things we like to do at Home Encouragement is to kind of keep our eyes peeled for the latest marriage research and then kind of curate it down to what is interesting and practical for teaching couples. And today I have two interesting articles that cite some pretty fascinating data related to marriage. It's funny when you when you kind of have your ear to the ground on marriage research, you feel like you know, you've kind of heard it all, you've heard the statistics, divorce statistics, all of that, but once in a while something comes along and you go, "Huh, I did not know that." And this is a, a couple of those things. So the first article I want to share was an article that was provided online by CNBC. And it cites a survey that was done by Forbes Advisor. This is the the headline of the article. It says, 46% of divorced couples say this was their number one conflict in their relationship. And spoiler alert, it's not money. So there were almost 700,000 couples who reported getting divorced in 2021 in America. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That's about half the number of couples who reported getting married that year. So if you're going just straight off of numbers of getting married, numbers of divorcing, we're still kind of at that 50% mark. But what this article shares is a survey that was done through Forbes Advisor, and they found the seven biggest conflicts that divorced couples encountered. Now, remember, this is not happy, healthy couples. This is couples who actually went through a divorce, and they ranked them. And the number one conflict that divorced couples said they had was around career choices, which I have to say totally surprised me because You know, it's not as though Brett and I haven't sat down with couples where issues around careers are problematic. I mean, yes, but I would have never guessed that that had risen to the number one. And again, I don't really have the data in front of me of, you know, the demographic of who was included in this survey, how many couples were included in the survey. But it's just amazing that that rose to the number one level. And It also doesn't really go, the article doesn't go into specifics around what that means. They just say career choices, and it makes you kind of go, huh, well, what could that mean? I guess that could mean anything from like, you know, someone's not in the right career to to make enough of a living, you know, for the, we've, we've certainly had that 
issue come up with couples where one spouse feels like the other person could be earning more by going into a different line of work. Perhaps that means that the career choice of the spouse isn't making him or her happy, and so that's causing issues in the marriage. It could be things around, you know, a a particular career requires a spouse to travel too much and be gone away from home, or maybe it's too demanding of a job as far as, you know, needing to be on call or available too much and it and it and inhibits family time or or a couple time. I mean, I guess there could be really a long list of what this entails, but I don't know about you. I was really just very surprised by that. The article said that almost half of the people surveyed, so 46% of those people surveyed said career choices were the biggest source of conflict in their marriage. That's just really amazing. The one that came in second at 43% was parenting differences, which I can definitely understand. And, and that is actually a pretty common issue among couples who are sharing parenting responsibilities. The number three ranked conflict was division of household labor. This science actually bears out because they you know for many years they've cited that women women in particular who are partnered and have children with men reported having less sexual desire if they were doing a larger portion of the housework and i mean i can just say as a woman that is very true housework is not an aphrodisiac so you know we're always trying to encourage couples to figure out a way to make sure that they are sharing the load there because that can really cause a problem. In case you're interested, the number four dispute area was relationships with family, which I assume means extended family, in-laws and such. Number five, which surprised me, it was relationships with friends. So again, I don't know if that means someone's choice of friends is problematic. That that could certainly be an issue. Or maybe it means that the person doesn't have any friends, and so the spouse feels like they're kind of uh, having to be the only friend in the spouse's life. I don't really know what that looks like. Number six was finances, which of course is never surprising. In fact, I'm I was surprised that wasn't higher up on the list, frankly. And then the last one, number seven, was health choices, which Again, you might think, well, what that, you know, can affect a marriage, and certainly it can. We've talked with couples. I think what health choices can entail is a lot of different things around food choices. You know, we've had couples say, I can't stand it. He eats too much sugar, you know, or she eats too much, you know, in general, or he doesn't ever go to the gym. She drinks too much alcohol. Yeah, there can just be kind of a lot of varying areas of that category, but that showed up as well. One thing I did want to say about the study is, uh, or the survey, is that this this really caught my eye. It said only 5% of people divorced say that there was no way their marriage could have been saved. Let me say that again. Only 5% of people who went through divorce say there was no way their marriage could have been saved. What that says to me is that 95% of those people said, I don't know, maybe with some kind of intervention, a particular resource, better education, maybe we would could have figured this out, which of course is the reason that Brett and I do what we do. And then lastly, it said a whopping 63% said that having a better understanding of commitment prior to marrying could have helped them avoid divorce. And more than half said that if they had had a better understanding of their spouse's morals and values prior to getting married, 
they might still be together. Again, that just emphasizes the need for premarital training. Brett and I just got finished a few weeks ago training about a dozen couples. And the the biggest feedback we get is we hear couples say, you know, this class forced us to have conversations that we didn't know we should be having. And that is huge. It's so, so important. So once again, the data just kind of bears out, you know, this idea that we don't need to be so, <laughs> I don't know, arrogant or, you know, naive to, to enter into marriage without a little bit of training. We always tell our premarital couples, you know, think about all the things in your life you've needed to get trained on, you know, from machinery to education to driving to personal trainers to all kinds of things. And yet we sort of, a lot of us move into marriage without even really kind of giving it a second thought. So anyway, I hope that was interesting for you. The second article that I wanted to talk about today is an, uh, a New York Times article by David Brooks from August 17th, 2023. And the title of the article is To Be Happy, Marriage Matters More Than Career. It's a really interesting article. If you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to read it because I'm a big fan of David Brooks. I enjoy his writing and, and certainly have enjoyed kind of his, in recent years, kind of his return to his faith in a way, I guess. But uh, he he cites a couple of very important pieces of, of marriage research in this article. He talks about, you know, I'll just quote from the article. He says, when, when I'm around young adults, I like to ask them how they're thinking about the big commitments in their lives, what career to go into, where to live, whom to marry. Most of them have thought a lot about their career plans, but my impression is that many have not thought a lot about how marriage will fit into their lives. So he talks about, he quotes Brad Wilcox, who is a professor at the University of Virginia who has done some really significant marriage research and also has a a book coming out. And he says, 75% of adults aged 18 to 40 said that making a good living was crucial to fulfillment in life. So 75% feel like making a living crucial to fulfillment in life, while only 32% thought that marriage was crucial to fulfillment. Here's another thing from Pew Research Center survey. 88% of parents said it was extremely or very important for their kids to be financially independent. Okay. 88% wanted their kids to be financially independent, which, you know, I get that. Parents definitely want that. While only 21% said it was important for their kids to marry. Only 21%. So that's, I don't know, that, that says a lot to me about where this young kind of Generation Z, millennial generation, maybe they're getting their delay of marriage mentality from mom and dad, (laughs) because it seems that parents are more interested in wanting to make their kids financially independent than anything else. And I don't want to overstate that, but uh, it's an interesting statistic. He also quotes the sociologist Andrew Churlin, who wrote a book that Brett and I read last year that was really impactful, where he says, you know, couples no longer view marriage as the cornerstone of their lives. They view it as the capstone, something to enter into after they have successfully established themselves as adults. 
And I thought that was a great way of kind of putting that. In fact, Brett and I have quoted that to a lot of couples since we read that book. And we kind of talk about our own experience and and a lot of people from our generation and and certainly older than us. You know, there's something about when you marry young and you don't have your careers, you know, established yet, you don't have money in the bank, you don't own a, a house or, you know, a nice car or anything, and you build that wealth together, there's something solidifying uh, about that. And I fear that couples who are already established and then they add marriage to it, I don't know, I wonder if they kind of have the same kind of history glue. Gosh, that is a dumb phrase, but I just wonder if they they are as bonded. I, and I don't know, maybe that's a silly thing, but we've known couples who have married later in life who, you know, really kind of already had everything established. They were very self-reliant, you know, self-sufficient. They get married and, and they hit, you know, problems in their marriage. And I don't know, it almost seems like it's easier to let go when you haven't built that thing together. And I don't know, that's just completely anecdotal, but it, it was interesting when we read that book by Andrew Cherlin that that cornerstone versus capstone mentality really, I think, is very, very uh, true and, and is key. So partly, I'm quoting from the David Brooks article again, partly as a result of these attitudes, there is less marriage in America today. The marriage rate is close to the lowest level in American history. So, for example, in 1980, only 6% of 40-year-olds had never been married. Okay, 1980, 6% of 40-year-olds had never been married. In 2021, so just, what, 40 years later, 25% of 40-year-olds have never been married. So that's a huge sociological shift in just a 40-year period. So he goes on to say, and this is something he says in the article, he says, please respect the truism that if you have a great career and a crappy marriage, you'll be unhappy. (laughs) But if you have a great marriage and a crappy career, you could be happy. (laughs) So I just kind of like the way he puts that. It's, you know, very simplistic, but could very much be true. He says, there are mountains of evidence to show that intimate relationships, not career, are at the core of life and that those intimate relationships will have a downstream effect on everything else that you do. Then he quotes a University of Chicago economist, Sam Peltzman, who published a study recently in which he found that marriage was the most important differentiator between happy and unhappy people. Married people are 30 points happier than the unmarried. Income contributes to happiness too, but not as much. And then he quotes Brad Wilcox again, and his forthcoming book is called Get Married. I don't know if it's out yet, but it will be soon. And this is a quote from that book, which is from the data. Marital quality is far and away the top predictor I have run across of life satisfaction in America. Specifically, the odds that men and women say they are very happy with their lives are a staggering 545% higher for those who are very happily married compared with peers who are not married or who are less than very happy in their marriages. So he says, when it comes to predicting overall happiness, a good marriage is far more important than how much education you get or how much money you make, how often you have sex, and yes, even how satisfied you are with your work. 
So I don't know. I thought that was really very interesting. And, you know, again, I think we see that because we sit with couples when they're going through difficult times. And honestly, I mean, even economically, the statistics, and I don't have them in front of me, but the statistics that show like work absenteeism based on people who are missing work because they're having relationship issues, you know, your your interpersonal relationships affect so many, so much of the rest of your life, your health, your work, your other friendships, your children, you know, it just, it sort of permeates from that inner circle out. And so, you know, it does make sense. And and we see it, you know, with couples, but, but to see it kind of in, you know, research form in, the New York Times, I don't know, I was I was really kind of glad that that article got published. I think this is a good time for people to hear that information. So this may not have been a terribly sexy topic, but I hope that you got something out of it. And as always, I hope that uh, this inspires you to dig in and really make your marriage something very, very special. Well, if you would like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. Also, we hope you'll follow us on social media. And I'd like to give a special thank you to Caleb Hurst for producing this episode. Well, thanks so much for listening today. And until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all.